Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, and joining me on this very special UFC Rotterdam edition of Half the Battle are the hosts of the MMA Circus, Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence and Nick Baldwin. Clown Kid, welcome back to the show, bro. Hey, man, it's really good to be back on the show. Uh, fantastic. Uh, thanks for having me on, as always, brother. And um, we got a pretty good card to break down here. And formerly Mr. MMA Junior, now Mr. MMA Circus. Welcome to the show, man. You know you've uh, matured from the junior to the circus. I mean, how did that come <laughs> about? And thanks for coming on the show, my dude. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me here. And as far as the name change, basically Andrew didn't love hosting a show with Junior in the name as a 30-year-old man. He just felt a bit weird with that. So we changed it, and we like it. The MMA Circus, it works. Well, I mean, thank God y'all changed that intro, but on the real, you know, that interview you guys did with Wonderboy this week was great, and the one with Tuck last week, unfortunately, Nick Khan pulled out the week of the fight, had an underdog play on Tuck, but it is what it is. Champions adapt and overcome, and we still got to make some winning plays at UFC Rotterdam, so let's start at the bottom of the card. We got Willie Gates. He's minus 150. The comeback on Olka Sasaki is plus 130. Basically, you know, both these guys are one and two in the UFC. They're both finishers, except Willie Gates. He's almost like a, the flyweight version of Melvin Gillard. And what I mean by that is he can knock anyone out, but any little sign of adversity, and this guy, he'll quick tap, he'll look for the door. So if Oka Sasaki can take his back and he gets those hooks in and can choke him out, I mean, if he gets that rear naked choke, and it doesn't have to be fully locked in for Willie Gates to tap. But on the flip side, if Willie starts teeing off, on Sasaki. Sasaki might uh, fold up. You know, in his last fight against Lapalus, you know, the refs uh, stepped in, but prior to that, it looked like Sasaki was about to tap the strikes, man. So both these guys are not known for their will to win, but they are known for their finishing abilities. So, you know, chances are the fight doesn't go the distance. As far as the line is concerned, you know, maybe take the shot on Sasaki, but I don't trust him at all. So therefore, I am passing. What do you think, Clown Kid? Yeah. I'm passing on a bet on this, uh, most likely, but I will say that I had some back and forth when I was uh, trying to make a pick on this earlier today. Um, Sasaki as an underdog pick, I'm passing, but I can understand someone's reasoning to do it. Um, Willie Gates does have that instinct, or, or I don't think he has an instinct to quit, but he, he has a susceptibility to put himself in a bad spot, and that's what I see consistently when I look at his... Um, at his fighting, um, sometimes he can he can be having a clear advantage in one aspect of the game and will just get away from that and kind of lose his focus throughout a fight. So I think that is more of a problem than his uh, than an ability to quit or, or, or looking for a way out. Um, Willie Gates, long reach, lengthy guy for the weight class, tough to uh, tough to say for sure that he's going to be elite or, or, or top 15 at any point, uh, despite, you know, his length and, and size in the division. Um, total pass for me on this fight. Well, I'm going to debate that, and you're welcome to, to comment on what I'm about to say. I do think it's a matter of will to win, because certain guys, like Carlos Condit, he finds himself in bad positions, but he doesn't look for that door. He gets back up to his feet and keeps fighting with Willie. Like I said, man, it's like it's like Gillard. You know, he'll be teeing off on you the entire fight, but uh, when Jim Miller takes his back, you know, immediately, there's no, he doesn't fight the hands, you know, he doesn't uh, try to reverse the position, he taps on the mat, it's that, uh, a lot of guys from that Williams camp, I know Willie Gates not part of it, but it's, they're a perfect example of what I'm talking about, but, but to contradict myself a little bit, Danny Hot Chocolate last week, that dude showed some heart, 
But on Willie Gates and Sasaki, Nick, I need your opinion, man. Yeah, it's a close fight, and it seems like everybody has been saying it. Either Gates is going to get the knockout or Sasaki's going to get the uh, submission. I'm going to go with the former here. Uh, Willie Gates has a full count for this one. I think Sasaki cutting down to 25, I don't know how that can go well for him. Um, I, I'm sure he's been planning to drop down. There, There's basically no way he could drop down to 10 pounds um, as a former bandweight on a week's notice, so I'm sure he was preparing for a 25 fight, but I'm still not sure he's going to look great on the scale. Um, if he looks fairly uh, drawn out on the scale, then definitely go with Willie Gates by knockout here. Um, it, it seems like when you cut a lot of weight, your chin weakens. I, I think that's probably going to be the case here, but I can say I'd be shocked if uh, Yuta Sasaki can get the submission. Um, Willie Gates could tire out, and then uh, Sasaki could take the back thinking that uh, rear naked choking and, and that's it for Willie Gates' career. I, I think both of these guys are, are in a must-win situation here. I think both one and two, like you mentioned, Daniel. Um, it's an interesting fight. It's a fun uh, fight to open up UFC Rotterdam, but I'm ultimately going with uh, Willie Gates here with the uh, first-round knockout. Yeah, and you bring up a very good point, the fact that he's dropping a weight class on very short notice. Now, I have a sneaking suspicion that that was his plan all along, and he had been dieting, you know, talking to Sean Shelby, and they probably knew he was ready to go. But, like Nick said, if he looks completely drawn out like a Skeletor at the weigh-in scale, yeah, you probably should take Gates. But at the current line, I do not like it. Now, next up, we got the biggest line of the card. We got Kyoji Horaguchi, minus 600 in five dimes. The comeback on Neil Sirius, plus 450, and... Kyoji's really damn good. He's basically the new generation of Kid Yamamoto. You know, he darts back and forth. He's got that... It's kind of a karate style, but he throws with power. And, I mean, he's a winner. The guy comes to fight every single time. Now, here's the thing with Siri. I think he's super underrated, man. I think a lot of people don't give him the credit he deserves. He uh, was at a point prior to joining the UFC where he was considered a journeyman. And then he goes in there in the UFC, and he, you know, he's got a winning record, man. So... The deal here is Kyoji has to be very disciplined. He has to, you know, be consistent with his strikes. He has to pick him apart to a 30-27. But if he starts getting uh, into a pocket brawl with Neil Siri, well, there could be an upset. However, I do think Kyoji's better. He's faster. He's younger. He's more athletic. And he'll get the victory here. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, um, this is a theme in this card, and, and it'll be me going chalk. Um Horaguchi, I don't see him losing here. For all the reasons you stated in that last sentence, younger, faster, probably more durable, as as durable as you think Siri is. You know, don't forget that Horaguchi lasted a lot of tough rounds against um, against some stiff competition in 125 pounds. He's he's he fought some some good guys. Um, I, I think that Horaguchi here. I think that Horaguchi could be one of these evolving talents if we didn't have this big problem in 125 pounds of Demetrius Johnson just being the alpha that's so far ahead of everybody. Um, I don't know. I, I, Horaguchi's been away from the game for a little bit. I hope he's been taking that time, you know, really retooling and um, you know adding more to his skill set so he can make a, a better championship run. Um, this time around, I, I suspect that to be the truth, so I think that this is a showcase fight for uh, for the Gooch. Yeah, and you know what? I think he has been getting better because you saw that fight with Chico Camus. Now, you know, I played Chico Camus at plus 350, and in hindsight, that was a terrible play. But look, 
even if Horiguchi was going to win that fight, I thought it was going to be way closer than it was. He goes out there, he smokes Camus on the feet, and that's where Camus likes to fight, man. So now I hear that Kyoji's at ATT, so he can only be improving. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, you guys hit the nail on the head here. Uh, Kyoji Horiguchi, he's going to pick up the win. I don't think he finishes Neil Siri. I think uh, Siri will be tough enough to survive. Um, Kyoji is good everywhere. He And as you guys both mentioned, he's more athletic, he's younger, and I, I think he's overall the better fighter. He, he's improving as well. Um, like you mentioned, ATT, getting better there every day. Um, Neil Siri, I tend to agree he is a bit underrated, but I, I don't think he's... Uh, good enough, basically, to beat a rising contender in Kyoji Horiguchi. Horiguchi, so far, has only lost to the best, Demetrius Johnson. Um, so I like him here. I think he wins by decision. I don't see it being a mauling. I think Siri will be able to get in his fair share of, sh fair share of shots, things like that. It, it kind of, I think it's kind of going to play out like uh, Pettis versus Kaladi's last weekend, uh, Pettis with the with the clear decision, but nothing, n no super over dominant performance from Pettis. I think that's kind of what's going to happen here. Horiguchi should probably just light him up on the feet, maybe even get a few takedowns in there and, and seal the deal with a uh, decision win. Yeah, you've been reading my Twitter timeline when I said it was going to be like Kaladis Pettis. No, <laughs> but next up, man, we got Leon Edwards. He's minus 250. The comeback on Dom Waters is plus 210. Here's the deal with this fight. Leon Edwards, I mean, his striking is very, very good. He's a surgical striker, as they like to say. Very pinpoint. He can knock dudes out with his hands. He can knock people out with head kicks. And if you go watch his fights on the European scene, I mean, he was destroying people. But when he came into the UFC and he's fought these tough wrestlers, you know, sometimes he can get grinded out in the later rounds. But with Dom Waters, I mean, he's going to look to get the fight to the ground. The thing is, will he be able to? Now, Dom Waters, he's got a lot of heart. You know, in his fight with George Sullivan, I think in the, in the first or second round, he lost to 10-8. And then in that third round, he goes out there and takes down George Sullivan and has his back for the majority of the round. So I do think Dom Waters has heart, and those – Last two fights he had where he took the two L's were both on short notice. So he had a full camp. This time it's Rocky Edwards who's who's uh, taking the fight on short notice. However, will that be enough? Man, I've been high on Leon for a while. I've bet him in uh, three of his UFC fights. The first one he dropped. The next two he won. And then I passed on Kamaru because, you know, Kamaru's a specimen. The thing is, is Dom a specimen? I know he's a big athletic dude. But he hasn't really shown the technical proficiency to prove to someone like me that he can beat Leon. Yeah, I think that Leon's, I, you know, like I said, I'm chalk on this whole card. I, I'm down with Leon Waters in this fight. I believe you actually turned me on to Leon Waters. Um, uh, Leon, Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, Edwards, I, I was looking through my notes, and uh, on the last card I actually wrote, you know, Guy has potential to be peripheral top 15. Um, you know, I, I usually don't write stuff like that, um, but I am that impressed with um, with Edward striking here. Dom Waters, you're right, he, he's an athletic guy, but I've never really seen that, you know, his physicality and his size um, put to great use in the cage. I think that he still has a lot of learning to do um, as far as fight management in, in ring craft. Um, and... Uh, well, I don't doubt his heart at all, like, like you mentioned. I, I do doubt his ability to, to dictate where he wants a fight to go. He's not going to always be uh, 
Dumb Waters uh, limitation. So I think this is a, a pretty clear path to victory for uh, Leon Edwards. Um, probably gets the finish maybe halfway through the fight, second round, late first round, something like that. Here's the thing. You're completely 100% correct. I mean, Leon is the better fighter. The thing with Dom is he has dropped his last two fights. He does have a full training camp. This is do or die. If he loses this fight, he's getting cut from the UFC, so you know he's so hungry. He's got a will to win. So, I mean... Is that going to translate on fight night, Nick? No, I, I, I don't really think so. I, like you said, he does have heart he, against George Sullivan. He, he was able to rebound. He, he did end up losing, of course. But um, it's an interesting matchup in the sense that Waters could grind out a decision victory here. But I think Leon Edwards is the better fighter. I think he'll be able to keep this standing um, where he, of course, wants it to be. I think uh, he's just going to be able to use his striking to outpoint Waters over three rounds. I, I don't see Waters getting uh, any takedowns, and if he does get one or two, I think Edwards will probably be able to get back right up. Um, I, I think it's a fairly clear win for Leon Edwards here. I don't think he finishes Waters. I do believe Waters is tough enough. Um, I like Edwards, though, by decision. Now, next up, we got Jan Cabral. He's minus 175. The comeback on Reza, the purse snatcher, Madadi, is plus 155. And, you know, this one's a tough one to call, man. Uh, the thing with Jan Cabral, he is a world champion jiu-jitsu player, and in some of his fights, it's really translated. You know, those first two rounds, the guy, for, the first round and a half, let's say that, he's, he is a motherfucker to deal with, but he gasses out really hard towards the end of the fight. And with someone like Reza, who, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's an Iranian wrestler, you don't want to gas out against an Iranian wrestler in the later rounds. Here's the only problem with Reza Madadi. excuse me. He's old, he's slow, he's stiff. I mean, his entry to his takedowns aren't very good. I am, and speaking of entries to takedowns, we're going to get to Francimar Barroso in a second, who has a very ugly setup to his takedown. I can't wait to talk about that fight. But back on Madadi versus Cabral, you know, like I said, you got the world champion jiu-jitsu player versus the Iranian wrestler. It's like, you know, who's going to win this fight? I honestly... I'll lean towards Cabral, but I mean, that minus 175, I wouldn't lay that. So honestly, it might be a sharp pick to take Madadi here, but 38 years old, you know, I, I don't know, man. I don't know, man. What do you think, Andrew? I love a play on Reza Madadi here. Um, I, I will admit I'm a bit of a self-proclaimed uh, mad dog mark, but um, I, I think he has a good shot here. Everything you said true is very true. Madadi has... is. 38 years old. He does look stiff. But we, you talked earlier about fighters with heart and guys who weren't going to give up when we were talking about Dominic Edwards, or Waters, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> and, but Reza Madadi is, is, has legendary heart. And word on the, uh, from you know that camp is once he got out of prison, um, he was just dying uh, to fight. I thought that he would looked very scrappy against... Um, God, uh, Norman Park was it that, that he fought last? and uh, But just looked like he couldn't institute the game that he wanted to. And I don't know if that was ring rust um, or, or if that was just he's too old to be fighting. But against a guy like Jan Cabral, who does fade late, I could see him landing something late and uh, taking advantage of uh, Cabral putting himself in a bad spot. Yeah, I mean, if he's going to win, that's how he has to do it. Because, like I said, that first round and a half, Cabral is really tough to deal with. But after that, I mean, you know, 
when you have one round cardio like my buddy Gunny Nelson, you know those later rounds are going to be really tough to deal with. Uh, this is a close fight. I haven't been really impressed with either guy as of late. Jan Cabral coming off that loss to Johnny Case. I actually scored that fight, I believe, for uh, Cabral there. That is a bit of a controversial uh, decision there for Case for Hollywood Case. Um, Resmondati returns to the UFC after a stint in jail, loses to Norman Park, who is no longer in the UFC. Um, yeah, Rezimadadi, like you mentioned, Daniel, he's old, he's slow, and I, I, I think uh, I, I think Cabral here, despite his cardio issues, I, I do think he's more athletic. I, I think he'll be able to get the job done. Um, takedowns, maybe even submission, I think that's really just what's going to do it. Um, I'm not overly excited for this fight. Um, it's a fight... Whatever. I, I think Cabral gets the job done. Maybe by the decision, but if I have to pick, I'll go decision. Now, we're going to briefly talk about this next fight. So, Magnus Sedenblad, he's minus 310. Come back on Gareth McClellan, is plus 255. People are acting like uh, Magnus Sedenblad is a lock in this spot. There's no such thing as a lock in this game. This, the guy hasn't fought, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, since 2014. However, he does have some very good wins in the UFC. He Finished Christoph Jocko. He beat Scott Askham, even though Scott Askham almost knocked him out with that front kick. But he still has those two good wins under his belt. With Gareth McClellan, you know, his last fight against Bubba Bush. Bubba Bush is an American wrestler. Gareth McClellan pounded him out with ground and pound. So, uh, you know, he might be the the hope for South Africa in the UFC scene because I know our boy Ruan <laughs> Potts, you know. He, he got his pots ruined, if you know what I mean. So, uh yeah, I mean, you got to go with, with Senblad, but I'm not I'm not touching it. And if you guys want to comment on this fight, go ahead. If not, we can skip to our boy, Nikita Krylov, Andrew. Uh, don't trust South African uh, MMA. It, not yet. <laughs> it needs another five years or so. Yeah, same here. I'll go yeah. Sedenblad. Uh, even, like, you mentioned Sedenblad's been out since 2014. Is that the case? I believe. I mean, you can look it up and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think the last time he fought was against Scott Askham. And that was a long-ass time ago, man. Yeah, I'll go him, Seedenblad, despite the layoff, but it could get a bit interesting. Uh, McClellan riding a bit of momentum with that Bubba Bush victory. Seedenblad has been sidelined for, for a long time. So, I mean, it probably could go either way, but, again, I don't really care. When you cite a Bubba Bush victory Not as, like, a momentum starter, yes. that's, that's when I start going, okay, let's pause and move on to the next fight. Yeah, we don't we don't need to talk about the guy that Kevin Casey knocked out in the first round. But you know who we do need to talk about? We need to talk about Nikita Al Capone Pridelov to Francie Mar Bodau Barroso. Man, this is gonna be a lot of fun. I'll tell you what. You know, uh, so I put let, let's just get this out of the way. I put three units on Nikita Krylov, and people are acting like I'm counting out Bodau. Listen. MMA genius, my buddy, he hit me up. He was like, dude, we got to watch film on, on this guy, on both these guys. So I was like, all right, let's watch film on these guys. We stayed up till 5 a.m. watching film on this fight, and I got to tell you what, Nikita is going to smoke him. Now, look, Bodal Barroso, he's actually not as bad as people think. You know, he's able to, you know, slow the fight down, uh, you know, win these decisions. But the thing is, his last fight, he fought a middleweight that weighed in at 201 pounds, and he... You know, his entry to his takedowns were so bad. Elvis Mutopcic was stuffing most of the takedowns, but the ones he couldn't was a matter of strength. With uh, Nikita Kral, I mean, this is a dude... Okay, listen to how much of a badass this guy. I mean, we don't have to talk about the fact that he's from Ukraine. We all know what's going on over there. So he's a badass, you know, 
in that respect. But let's talk about his fighting abilities. UFC debut. He goes in there against Soa Pulele. Soa's 265 pounds. Nikita Krylov was 217 pounds. Okay? In the second round, Nikita actually made Soa Pulele quit, but the ref didn't see it. You know, Soa was turning away, looking for that door, looking for that stoppage, just like he did against Bigfoot, but the ref didn't call it, and eventually uh, Krylov gassed himself out, you know, trying to pound out a dude that's got over 40 pounds on him. But, I mean, then he drops to 205. Look, OSP beats anyone that's not in the top five. So there's no shame in losing to OSP. But since then, look what he's been doing. He's been smoking guys, and he's been getting better every single time. He's a complete finisher. He can knock you out. He can tap you out. He's big for the weight class. Uh, I know my boy MMA State of Mind said he could drop to 185. You know, I love you, Bob, but that's complete bullshit. He can't make 185. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, man, in this fight specifically – I just think that Nikita's going to finish him. I'm not overlooking Bodau. I watched all his fights. I put in my homework. I mean, look, I get it. He can stall out some decisions against, you know, a retired journeyman and Ryan Gimo. And uh, like I said, a middleweight that weighed in at 201 in Elvis Mutopcic, who, you know, in his own right is about to smoke Kevin Casey. So make sure you play that if he's the underdog. In this spot, man, minus 155 is what it was that. And I put three units on it, and I think Krylov's about to make a statement. So, Andrew, are you with me here or what? Yeah, I'm 100% with you. Um, I think this whole hype that's been behind Nikita Krylov and everyone loving the Al Capone thing, kind of the silliness we like to have on the Internet when we get behind certain fighters. And let's be honest, he's given us a lot of fodder. If you remember, he, he like his win in Sweden, he had some weird, like, uh, dude in his corner who seemed like he was a fashion model, guy was taking selfies the whole time, fixing his hair. Um, just a real, it, there's a lot of questions and, 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 and I wish someone would do a comprehensive interview with uh, Nikita Krylov to find out what's going on. But this guy's a legit mixed martial artist. He's a lifetime martial artist. He's been doing it since he was 12. You know, started in karate. Um, clearly has some technique. Now, uh, I, I, we've seen very poor things from his ground game. But everything that I've seen in his stand-up has been very good. And I think if we've seen anything evolve in his game in the last few fights, it is his ground game. Two wins by submission, can't really scoff at. I mean, not the most technical things in the world. And he definitely set it up with the work in the stand-up. But, um, you know, I, I think we're seeing probably him evolve uh, his submission in his ground game. So I wouldn't discount Nikita Krylov as someone who couldn't progress to become a great fighter. Just because we have like this silly obsession with him, I think he still has within him the potential to be a contender years and years later on down the line. I agree with that. And the only reason that people kind of laugh when they hear his name is because of that fight with Soa Pulele. But once again, when a dude's over 40 pounds bigger than you and you make him quit and the referee doesn't see it and you gas yourself out while making him quit, it is what it is, man. Now, I mentioned how uh, Barroso's takedown entries are super sloppy. He doesn't yeah. set up those takedown entries. You know what else he doesn't set up? He doesn't set up his big strikes. This is one of those guys, you know, I heard people talking about how he's a Novo Onyao striker. Yeah, he might train at Novo Onyao, but he does not strike like the guys from Novo Onyao, okay? And uh, so basically, you know, he likes to throw a big overhand right. He'll throw, you know, the occasional left hook, but he doesn't hit, He doesn't set it up. When you when you throw an overhand right, you know, maybe throw that jab first, maybe do a double jab, maybe do a 1-3, and then throw the overhand right. This dude will just, he'll be, he'll be shielding up, and he'll throw that big overhand right. That's just not going to work on Krylov. That might work, like I said, on a retired journeyman or a small-ass 
85er. But that's not going to work on a dude that was at heavyweight, and now he's at 205. And not to mention, he's only 24, 25 years old. So he's still filling out into his frame. So, I mean, Kratilov's going to finish this fight. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, he, he's definitely going to get the finish here. I have not been uh, impressed with Francis Barbarossa really whatsoever in his UFC tenure, uh, especially uh, starting with that Ryan Jimmo uh, fight. Uh, Nikita Krylov, we all say it. He's one of the GOATs, so you can't uh, go against Nikita Krylov in this fight against Francis Marbarossa. Um, he, he's, he, he's decent on the feet. Like Andrew mentioned, he's ever-improving on the ground. I like Nikita Krylov to uh, finish this fight. Hey, and real quick, so I'm on best fight odds, and I'm looking at the Krylov inside the distance. You guys aren't going to believe this shit. No, 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 check this out. You ready You ready for this? You want to talk okay. about a, a line movement? All right. It opened plus 257, and guess what, what it's currently at? Now it's at minus 115. Wow. Oh, so I, I was, I, wow. Dude, I was probably at the gym when that line got dropped, and oh, my God, I'm kicking myself in the ass because all week, you know, I was speaking to my buddy, the MMA genius, we were like, dude, we're about to play that Krylov inside the distance. Plus 257 on the opener, and I missed that? Jeez, but that's okay, because I put three units on him straight, and all the people that don't have prop bets in their uh, books can still tail me. So I guess it works out. Now next up, okay, so we got the we got Carolina Kowalkiewicz and Heather Joe Clark, and we got Jermaine Durandamy and Anna Elmos. I mean, we'll just give quick picks on it. I think Carolina Kowalkiewicz is way better than Heather Joe Clark, therefore she's going to win the fight even though the better person doesn't always win. I just think that Heather is a little battle-worn, you know, quote-unquote battle-worn, and uh, she's, she doesn't have that will that Carolina has. And as far as Jermaine Durandamy and Anna Elmos, Elmos is a finisher, but she moves in. She's way too sloppy with her strikes, and a Dutch striker like Jermaine Durandamy is going to capitalize and finish her. So those are so I got Carolina and Jermaine Durandamy. Sorry to be boring and pick the big favorites, but it is what it is. I mean, you guys got those two or what? Definitely. Yeah, yeah chalk all the way on, uh, on these ones. Fights. We don't know where the talent is, you know, relative to other people. So just avoid it in, in wholesale. Save yourself some money, guys. You know, you just did the robot, but the last part came through, and the last part was all I needed to hear because we need to save our money and move on to better fights. So, I mean, Nick, are you in agreement With who's going to win or that we better move on? Because I, I agree with both, randomly and, and both. Carol Caroline. Yeah. Those two are winning, and let's move on to the to the second goat on the card. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if this is the one you're referring to. Next up, we got Rustam the Tiger Habilov, minus 210. The comeback on Chris Wade is plus 175. Let me take a little sip of water because I'm pissed off that I see plus 175, and I played it at plus 70. Now, here's the deal with this fight. Rustam, one of those scary Russians. I mean, you can't take that away from him. You know, he's known for his suplexes. He's known for, uh, you know, he'll run around the ring for a little bit. He'll back up. He'll be a little bit inactive. And then he'll throw big bombs like all the Russians like to do. But you know what? I kind of think he's a little bit overrated. Or either that or something changed. Because if you watch his fight with Masvidal and then you watch his fight with Adriano or his fight with Norman Park, it's not the same guy, man. Maybe it's the fact that he's not training at Craig Jackson's anymore. Now, here's the deal with Chris Wade. This is the reason I'm betting on him. I've never been that impressed with Chris Wade. I've actually been looking to fade him for a while. 
But the thing is, he's a winner. I mean, he, he finds a way to make these fights close. I feel like with his wrestling background, he'll be able to neutralize the uh, Sambo attack, Sambo, excuse me, attack of Rustam Habilov. Now, uh, here's the deal. We've seen Rustam Habilov get taken down by non-wrestlers. We saw him get taken down by Norman Park. We saw him get taken down by Adriano Martinez. So why can't a D3 wrestler take him down? So uh, I'm actually going to go with the American here. It's simply a shot. I would not be surprised if the Russian comes through, because, I mean, obviously, one doesn't simply bet against a Russian, but in this spot, I mean, like I said, Chris Wade is a winner, he's a wrestler, he's actually a champion kickboxer, even though it hasn't shown at all in the UFC. If you go back and look at his credentials, you know, that he's got that under his belt. So I think he'll rise to the occasion and uh, win a split decision here. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, I think um, I, I, if you're looking to bet dogs, this is a dog you could take a shot on. I'm going to pass on this fight because I like the favorite and the money's just not there. It doesn't make sense. Um, I think that Chris Wade is just good enough to get himself in trouble uh, in a spot like this. I think Hobbylov could be intelligent and just pick him apart if he wanted to. Uh, I think he's more athletic. I think he's just a more talented. So, uh, well, I don't think dog spot, I, if you're obsessed with finding a good dog spot, grab, uh, grab Chris Wade here. It's decent plus odds. Nick? Yeah, I, uh, I'm i going to agree with Andrew here. I like Rustam Kabalov by decision here. It's going to be a grinding affair no matter who wins. Don't expect a wild finish in this fight. Uh, I've been pretty high on Chris Wade, but I do believe this is a massive step up in competition. Um, this is the biggest fight of his UFC career, no doubt. Um, Rustam Kabalov hasn't really been overly impressive as of late with, with the decision win over Norman Park in his last outing. Um, I was impressed when he did lose to Benson Henderson. I had him up uh, going into that fourth round before he got subbed by Benson Henderson. So I do think he can be a great fighter at times. Will he be a great fighter on Sunday uh, morning or, or afternoon? I'm not sure which Rustam Kablov steps up because I, I do believe um, Rustam Habalov, one version of him is a top 10 guy and the other loses to uh, lower level competition. Chris Wade is kind of the, the medium level competition in my eyes. Um, he could grind out this victory. He easily could. I, I, I feel um, it, it's going to be a grinding affair as I mentioned either way. I think Rustam will just be able to pick him apart though on the feet and on the ground and uh, ultimately get that uh, decision. Yeah, and you know, I completely agree with you, Matt, and I personally don't like being like, you know, which version of him is going to show up because I feel like that discredits the opponent, but you're 100% correct, man, because I, I want to know which version of him is going to show up. Is it going to be Suplex City, or is it going to be the dude that gets taken down by non-wrestlers? And if it's the dude that gets taken down by non-wrestlers, the dude that's not training at Greg Jackson's anymore... I mean, we might have an upset on our hands. And, man, once again, I wish Nick Hines showed up because uh, not only were we going to cash that plus 170 on John Tuck, but turns out Nick Hines had a herniated disc. So we, we had an underdog and we had a favorite with an injury going into the fight. And that would have been so nice, not to mention the fact that John Tuck, you know, his number one weakness has always been his cardio. So what did he do? He goes to Nick Curson, Rafael Dos Anjos, strength and conditioning coach. To, to address his biggest weakness. That, to me, is the sign of a world champion. So it sucks that uh, you know we don't get to talk about that fight. But he is fighting. What, what's the dude's name? Because the odds aren't up. Josh, 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 Josh Emmett. Yeah, Josh. Dude, Josh Emmett. I got to tell you about this kid because he's been on my radar for a while. I watched him knock out Christos Giagos. And uh, oh, yeah. 
if you watch that fight, you know, Christos actually showed up completely out of shape, but still, he's still a tough dude. And Josh Emmett, he's 9-0. He trains at Team Alpha Male, which, you know, I mean, do they have coaches or do they not have coaches? Who knows? Here's the thing. It could be a situation like Luke Sanders where he makes his debut on short notice. He goes out there and finishes Maximo Blanco. But it could also be that first roadblock in his career because, like I said, John Tuck addressed that one big weakness. Now, we don't have a line to work with yet, but, you know, we got to assume that John Tuck will be a slight favorite, you know, and uh, Emmett will be the dog. I'm going to lean toward Tuck, but no play anymore. He's not fighting Nick Hine. See, Nick Hine hasn't been the same since he bought, since he fought my boy Vic and got his head snapped back about 120 times. <laughs> he hasn't. He just hasn't been the same. I mean, you saw his last two fights against Kasuya and Sayevsky. Not the same guy. So I thought Tuck was going to have the performance of his career. But now that there's a late switch, it changes everything. And this up-and-coming kid, Josh Emmett, is no joke. The question is, actually, I already know the answer to the question I'm about to ask. I was going to say, was he already in shape when he got the call? Yes, he was, because he was training for another fight. So, But that other fight wasn't in the UFC, you know what I mean? So he's stepping up under the big lights. we got to see if he rises to the occasion. I mean, Andrew, is he going to rise to the occasion, or is John Tuck going to show off that Nick curse on strength and conditioning? I don't know. He is the latest change of location. He was training for a fight that he was going to be fighting locally. He's a California guy, California fight, I think. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, the the whirlwind of being signed and, and all of that and the travel. Now you can fight and do the weight cut while traveling instead of where you probably would have done it, which was at your gym. Um. I, I just don't like to bet on uh, on late notice guys, especially guys I haven't really seen tape on. Um, a nine and zero amateur record could mean a future world leader or a, a future can. It, it really doesn't mean uh, anything unless you see the quality of uh, opponents. So um, pass on this fight. I'll pick John Duck. Well, here's the thing. I mean. He did just beat a UFC vet, but that UFC vet, like I mentioned, came completely out of shape in that fight. You know, it's funny because with a lot of these UFC guys that get cut and they weren't that bad in the UFC, they go in the other regional fights and they lose that first one because they underestimate their opponents. They're like, hey, I was under those bright lights. I was in the big show. You know, I don't even need to train. And uh, a fight's still a fight, no matter if it's in a, like Benson Henderson likes to say, if it's in a 7-Eleven parking lot, if it's in my backyard, or if it's in the UFC's octagon, a fight is still a fight. So, Nick, who's going to win this fight between John Tuck and Josh Emmett? This is a really, really close matchup, and uh, I, I feel sorry that you missed out on that uh, one-unit or two-unit play on John Tuck because I did think he was going to go in there and smoke Nick Hine like you. I haven't been impressed whatsoever with Hine as of late, and Tuck, despite the layoff, I do think he's going to look really good in his return um, coming off that win in, the, in Manila, the Philippines, last year. Um, but this is another fight. Now, Andrew, I, I know... On, on Twitter and things like that, he, he's mentioned uh, Josh Emmett, new new fight. Even though he, he was training for a fight this Saturday, he, he the weight cut shouldn't be an issue. But yeah, completely new location. Going from a local fight he, he would drive two hours for in California to overseas in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. So that could be a huge factor in this one. Um, like like you guys mentioned as well, him getting assigned, the whole, the whole excitement around that as well. Despite that. I think his skills are going to win him this, this fight. I like Josh Emmett to win this fight. He, he's training out of Team Alpha Male, and as of late, that hasn't been the best. Um, 
you like you like Daniel mentioned right here, uh, Justin Buckles is their new head coach. You have Chris Holdsworth uh, on, on BJJ duties. You have Danny Castillo, UFC vet, on wrestling duties. So if you want to consider that a legit and and awesome coaching staff, what choose that for yourself? I I I'm, I don't really know. I don't know if like. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's better than last last year when they had no coaches, really. Um, as far as the matchup goes, Josh Emmett is great everywhere. Not great, but he's good everywhere. His stand-up is really sharp. He has knockout power in both hands. And, and his submission game is great. He, he trains out his team out male. How can it not be? Um, I think he's a bit more well-rounded than John Tuck. I think he goes in here and picks up. I'll actually go with a stoppage win here. I'll say on the ground he submits John Tuck. You know what? I can never talk shit about a bold underdog pick, so we'll see what happens, man. Now, here we, we got the fight to watch coming up. So, hey, when we get to the fight to watch, don't rip me off here because we got Albert Einstein to men off, minus 185. Holy shit, money came in. I missed that minus 165, god damn it. And the comeback, <laughs> Cutter Gunny Nelson, is plus 160. Now, before I talk about the styles, can I just mention how much money Gunny has cost me in the past? Jesus Christ, man. And, you know, the thing about Gunny is he's got all the skills. He's got all the athleticism. I mean, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion. This is a guy that won the silver medals in the absolute division at the Abu Dhabi uh, trials. I mean, one doesn't simply win the silver medal in the absolute division. The absolute division means that there's no weight class. So this little dude is going up there against heavyweights, and he got the silver medal. That's the kind of badass we're dealing with. And also, he's got that point karate style. But there's something missing. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's up here. I, I really don't know. Actually, I, I have a guess that what's missing is the fact that he's in the wrong weight class. You know, he should be at 55. I'll tell you why. There's no chance in hell two men I was making t uh, 55. But let's talk about their style. So, like I said, Gunny is a world champion jiu-jitsu player. His top control is excellent. His fucking takedowns are very underrated. And on the feet, he bounces in and out. He's got that point karate style, but he can drop dudes too. He's running into an absolute monster. He's running into a future world title challenger in Albert Tumeno. Albert's one of those... Russians, once again, who... But this guy, you know, he centers his game around his boxing. He's a master of sport and boxing, and the way he sets up his strikes is just devastating. So we all know that you don't just throw a naked rear uppercut. And what I mean by naked is, I mean, you don't set it up, you know? Uh, like, if you watch Kevin Lee versus Leo Santos, Kevin Lee threw a naked rear uppercut, and he paid for it big time. With Albert Tumenov, he fights like a seasoned striker. He'll set it up with the 1-3, with a double jab, and then he'll throw that rear uppercut like a like a true boxer, and he puts dudes away. And then he's got those head kicks too. His takedown defense has gotten a lot better since his UFC debut. And if you go back and watch his UFC debut when he was, you know, 21, he was sick. You know, he had the flu. He was in Brazil fighting a dude that dropped from 205. He got taken out. He gets back up, or he reverses the position. I honestly thought he won that fight. But since then, he's just been going through killers at 170. I mean... Lorenz Larkin, Alan Juban, he's been beating some really good guys, and Gunny's in trouble here, man. I'm telling you what, I think Gunny's either going to get knocked out or he's going to get 30-27. Now, I want to talk about Gunny's fight IQ because it's so questionable. I mean, look, when I broke down the fight with Damian Maya, I was like, all right, well, we, we got the world championship jiu-jitsu credentials, so what we're going to do is we're going to keep the fight standing because we know Damian wants to take us down, 
So let's keep the fight standing. Let's knock him out. What does Gunny do? He goes in there and initiates the clinch with Damian Maya. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? That's the last thing you want to do. You know, if you're John Bones Jones, okay, then go beat someone at their own game. But when you're Gunner Nelson, you need to stick to what you're good at or what works in that particular fight. And what would have worked in that particular fight would have been not initiating the clinch with Damian Maya, keep the fight standing, and knock him out. Okay, so he's got so much pride that he's willing to initiate the clinch with Damian Maya. Does that mean he's going to go out there and try to stand and bang with Albert Tumenov? Because, dude, if he does, he's getting knocked out. Let's say he, uh, he, he fights smart and he tries to take him down. I truly believe that Albert Tumenov will either stuff the takedown or get back up and piece him up. Now let's talk about Gunny's cardio. So first round, I mean, he looks like a world champion. Second round, not so much. Third round, you know, he has nothing left uh, because, once again, he's too small for the weight class. Like Connor. You saw Connor versus Nate. First round, oh, look, and, and just for all, everyone who knows I've been a longtime fan of Connor. When I was backing him to be one of the greatest of all time, that was at 145 pounds. That 170 pounds was never part of the equation. This, <laughs> Connor's fight with Nate is a perfect example of what I'm talking about with Gunny. First round looks incredible. Second round has got nothing left. So, I mean, it's like, dude, I think this is going to be a fight where he finally drops to 155 pounds. What do you think, Clown Kid? Yeah, I've been looking for him to make that weight class uh, jump for a while, and I think you, you nailed it. He could be a world champion, and, and everyone's like, what's that missing element? The missing element is he doesn't have a frame for 170 pounds. problem is, is modern MMA, you need to be a 200-pound human being to, to be the welterweight champion of the UFC. Um, and, and let's be honest, uh, Tumanoff is a, is a big, big boy. Um, scariest striking uh, in, in the division, I think. I think... I, it's my personal belief that Alan Juban's striking is at an extremely high level um, in comparison with the rest of the welterweight division in the UFC. And Tumanov looked like he was steps and steps ahead of him. I think you are, when you talk about Albert Tumanov, you're talking about a guy who sees punches coming from his opponent and recognizes their patterns and tendencies the best in the 170-pound division. Um and, and maybe some of the best, you know, striking recognition um, in the entire, uh, you know, UFC. And so if he can bring his athleticism and, uh, you know, bring the rest of his game to that level, he could definitely be a world champion. And so I think he easily uh, beats Gunnar Nelson here. Nick, is he going to easily beat him or are we in for a fight here? I don't think he's going to easily beat him, but I definitely do like Albert Tumnov in this fight to win a clear uh, decision. I, I don't think he stops Gunnar Nelson. Gunnar Nelson is really, really tough. I don't think he's ever been stopped in his uh, UFC or MMA career. Um, yeah, that's correct. He just lost to Rick Story and uh, Damian Maya, and both won by a fairly dom de dominant decision. Uh, the thing with Tumnov is uh, he, he's really, really... Uh, good on the feet. He's already great on the feet, and he's improving. Gunnar Nelson, like you guys mentioned, he's a really small welterweight. I, I don't see him dropping down ever, just because of of the IV ban and, and the whole push on 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 fixing the weight cutting issue. Um, so I don't think we ever see Gunnar Nelson at 155, who has been talking about Conor McGregor never wanting to drop down to 45. I don't imagine uh, Nelson is wanting to make that cut down to 155 either. Um, but as far as the matchup goes, Tumnov is great on the feet. He could get taken down. Nelson does have great uh, takedowns, as, as you guys mentioned. Um, Tumnov, I do think, will be able to get back up if he does get taken down, if not, if not uh, stuffing the takedown. So 
it, it, it's a close matchup in that sense where he could get taken down, he could get grounded out, and, and we would be definitely in for a fight, and, and all three of us would be surprised if that happens. But ultimately, Einstein, I, I think he's, uh, he, his uh, size is also going to be an advantage here. Um, stuffing the takedowns might be a bit easier. Gunnar Nelson, small Walt weight, like, like we mentioned, um, I could kind of go back and forth. I, I can't fault anyone for picking Gunnar Nelson here, the uh, slight underdog, uh, just because of his skills on the ground. But ultimately, Tumnov, I think he does outpoint uh, Nelson on the feet, either 29-28 decision or a 30-27 uh, unanimous decision. Dude, and I actually completely agree with what you said about Gunny not going to drop to 155. And that goes back to what I was saying, that he fights with way too much pride. I mean, the guy needs to, you know, he looks emotionless if you look at, you know, his pictures or him doing an interview. But in there, he's, he, I'm going to say he's a little bit arrogant, man. And I'm not talking about Anderson Silva arrogant. I'm talking about dumb arrogance, like not John Jones arrogance. Well, and I'm not talking about Jones outside the ring. I'm talking about in the ring, guys, okay? Now, the thing is, Gunny fights with way too much pride. And I, I really hope as a betting man he goes in there and tries to test the stand-up against two men. If he's smart, he's going to shoot for the legs like he should. We'll have to see, man, because like I said, Rick Story, that fight cost me money. Damian Maya, that fight cost me money. I mean, I don't, don't feel bad for me because, you know, Yoel Romero, Conor McGregor, they all came through. But still, man, I, I take note of... Uh, you know, who loses and who wins, right? But next up, man, we got the co-main event. It's funny because this should have been the co-main event. It was the people's main event in my book. We got the heavyweights. <laughs> uh, I, I actually know why because uh, Stefan Struve is, you know, from the Netherlands. So, of course, he's in the co-main event. All right. So, we got Stefan, the skyscraper Struve. He's minus 220. Jesus. And the comeback on Antonio Pezzao, Bigfoot Silva, is plus 180. And uh, they both should retire. They, you know, this is a, I really don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to go with the underdog pays out just because, you know, Struve refuses to fight in his last couple of fights. Ever since the Miocic fight, he hasn't been the same dude. I know finally against Noguera, we were like, yes, he, he's fighting like a tall man. He's using his range for the first time in his career. You know, I've been, I've been waiting for this dude to use his range since his second UFC fight. The reason I didn't say his first is because he was in there against JDS, so, you know, we, we can put that on the back burner, but since his second fight, I've been like, dude, you're seven feet tall. Throw that jab, throw that front kick, and, uh, you know, he, he hasn't learned his lesson yet. And now he had that heart condition, which, you know, he collapsed backstage before the Matt Mitrione fight. Shit's not looking good, but then with Antonio Silva, shit's not looking good either because he's got gigantism. He needs to take testosterone. <laughs> he can't take testosterone. So, I mean, whoever lands first, man is going to win this fight. From a betting perspective, I think minus 220 is absolutely ridiculous, so I'd have to lean with Antonio, but like with my money, I'm keeping it in my wallet. What do you think, Andrew? I The pass is is strong with this one. Um, Stefan Struve I, is who I favor in the fight, just because you talked about you know Struve not liking to engage in his last few fights. God damn it if Bigfoot Silva looked like he was running in his, in his last fight. Now, granted, I think he was – what was he fighting? Mark Hunt in the last fight? Was that the last Bigfoot fight? Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was not Mark Hunt. Yeah, the, so I, I, would, I would be running a lot faster than Bigfoot was running in that cage if I was uh, looking across uh, at, at Mark Hunt. So, you know, Stefan Stoop clearly isn't Mark Hunt. But I still think he can throw some leather. I, I, you know, he's working with 
uh, Hoof still, I hope, down at, at, with the Black Zillions. I hope that's still going on for him because I think that finally a guy like Henry Hoof was able to allow him to cultivate, uh, you know, that long style of fighting because um, clearly that wasn't something that Stefan Struve took too naturally. Um, he's younger, so I'll go Struve, and the odds are crazy, so I wouldn't bet this at all. Yeah, and I mean, it would be nice to see Struve use that range again and pick him apart and get a nice victory. Do I think he has it in him? I don't know, man. What do you think, Nick? Well, this is a fight that should not be going down. Um, both guys should be retired, and I hope the loser of this fight absolutely retires, and even the winner, right off into the sunset uh, and, and retire. Honestly, um, I, I know people don't like uh, media guys and, and fans saying this guy should retire, but I don't really have a problem with if, if you're looking at someone like Bigfoot Silva, I think we can all agree he should step away from the sport because of his gigantism and, and things like that and, and needing um, TRT and, and things along those lines. Um, as far as the matchup goes, it could go either way. It, it really could. I honestly think, though, Bigfoot Silva's best chance to win is by taking Stefan Struve down and grinding him out. I, I think if he does that, I think he could win a 30-27 decision or, or, or whatever scorecard. I, I think he could win by decision, but I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to try standing with Stefan Struve. And, I mean, Stefan Struve's chin isn't, isn't made of iron, but Bigfoot Silva's chin is probably the worst chin in the UFC right now. One little jab, one little uh, punch from Stefan Struve, and it's lights out for Bigfoot Silva. Stefan Struve is not known for his knockout power, but I think he gets a knockout against Bigfoot Silva. I'm going to take it a step further. You said if Bigfoot's going to win this fight, you know, he has to grind him out to a decision. I actually think if he wins this fight, he needs to take him down, you know, pass, get that full mount, and pound him out like he used to do back in the day, or like Overeem did when he finished. Stefan Struve. Now, I know Overeem and Bigfoot are two completely different animals at this point in their respective careers, even though Bigfoot knocked Overeem dead. Like I said, man, that was a long time ago, and the sport consistently evolves. But speaking of Overeem, we got to talk about the main event of the evening, and we got Alistair the Reem Overeem. He's minus 240. The comeback on Andre the OG Pitbull Arlovsky is plus 200. And look, let me talk about my fan perspective first, and then I'll talk about my uh, logical perspective. <laughs> so, as a fan, I'd love nothing more than to see the OG Pitbull get his hand raised in this fight. I mean, the guy, you know, a, a while back when he had four losses in a row, people were calling for him to retire, and he said, you know, he went to Greg Jackson, and Greg was like, dude, you still have it in you. I believe in you. And then he goes on an eight-fight win streak. He gets back in the UFC. So, you know, once again, that to me is the sign of a world champion. Um... The thing is, the chin never recovers. Both guys have been knocked out over eight times each. Each. Not, not just one guy. Both have been knocked out over eight times each. So when I break it down, it's about who lands first. But when you talk about their technical abilities, you know, Alistair's been getting a lot better, you know, because he used to not really respect his opponents at all, and, and he'd pay as a result. But now he knows he can't take a shot like he used to. So he's, his distance management has gotten so much better. Is that even a real term? I just, but no, but look, his, his distance management has thing. gotten so... Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking around. His distance management is really fucking good 
nowadays. I mean, you saw that fight with uh, Junior Cigano. Now, he now Junior Cigano, we all know, is a boxer for MMA, and he made it to the point where Junior couldn't throw his hands. I, like the entire fight, I'm like, Junior, throw your hands. But when I went back and rewatched it, I I understood why he wasn't able to throw his hands, and that's because of the range that Alistair Overeem controlled. He made it to the point where Junior Dos Santos is trying to trade kicks with the K1 champion. And, you know, one doesn't simply trade kicks with Alistair Overeem, and he made him look like a complete fool. So my question here is, with Greg Jackson and, you know, Six-Gun Gibson, Izzy-style wrestling, with all those guys in Andre Arlovsky's corner, you know, are they going to come up with a good game plan to defeat the Ream? But then again, it goes back to who's going to land first. Alistair is way more technical. There's, there's no doubt about it. You know, Andre's your typical kickboxer. You know, volume punches, good kicks, knockout power. Overeem's always been considered the best offense. It's just a matter of that chin, you know. So it, whoever lands first is probably going to win. you got to lean towards Overeem from a betting perspective just because he's been looking better. He's got the momentum on his side. But as a fan, I hope the OG Pitbull knocks him out. What do you think, Andrew? I I feel you on the fan uh, tip. I think Nicholas over here will uh, will argue the other side of that. But from a straight analysis perspective, you gotta like the skill set of of Overeem. I know we're searching for dogs, and I really like that Arlovsky gets this done. I, I I Travis Brown, a young fighter, you know, he lost to Arlovsky. Maybe Arlovsky still has that ridiculous power that could still kill a person. Um. But I just don't see Alistair doing what Travis Brown did and rushing in. I, I, I really think he's going to play that patient game. And that patient game seems to be working out really well for him. Um, Alistair Overeem has maybe matured into a really, really cerebral fighter. Um, something that I didn't expect to uh, to see from him, especially not at this stage in his career. So uh, so my picks for the Ream. Uh, sorry I couldn't give out more dogs today. Uh, but... Uh, it just happens to be a real chalky card, guys. Hey, you remember when uh, Brett Rogers was like, I'm going to knock out Alistair Overy? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that shit was funny as fuck. But, uh, Nick, I know uh, Overy was one of your favorite fighters. First of all, what was the first Overy fight you watched? Brock Lesnar. Okay, my man. He watched his UFC debut. That's what's up. So you've been through the ups and downs a little bit. So, uh... <laughs> Tell me what. Tell me why I'm still processing that, Daniel. Daniel, I'm still processing that. His first time he watched Alistair Overeem was against Brock Lesnar. What was that like? <laughs> well, I do see 150 something. One. I'm not gonna give him too much yeah. shit because at least I'm not gonna give you too much shit because at least you've seen his entire UFC career, so you understand the liabilities of that chin. But if you go back and you watch his fights with Shogun. Then uh, then we'll talk a little more. But Nick, I gotta know your fans of the show. The mail, mail Nick DVDs of um, of Pride FC. We'll post Nick's <laughs> address on Twitter. Everyone, mail him your old DVDs of Pride. I like it. I love it. Um, Alistair Overeem. Yeah, everyone knows my favorite fighter. He got me into the sport. Well, he was the first fight I I probably ever watched, and from there on, I was basically hooked. And, and yes, that was the Lesnar debut. Um, in 2011, but as far as the matchup with Andre Arlovsky goes, yeah, you guys, you guys hit the nail on the head. Whoever uh, get lands first is gonna win this fight. I think that's gonna be uh, Overeem. Bias aside, I, I do th like we, we know Overeem is by far the the more skilled fighter, and I really really love what he's been doing as of late. Ever ever since um 
that that uh, Frank Mir decision win, interrupted by the Dark Sith Lord Big Ben Rothwell knocking him at, knocking him out. Uh, he he's been playing it really safe in the sense that he knows how to uh, to to go up against knockout artists like Junior Dos Santos, and and and, and other guys like that. Um. He, he's be, he, he's able to use his reach, use kicks, stay back, use knees, uh, do well in the clinch. I think that's what this fight is going to look like. I, I do think he finishes Arlovsky, but honestly, a decision wouldn't surprise me. He went to a decision with Roy Nelson, and, and no one expected that. Most people were calling for a big country knockout there. Um, I, of course, went with Overeem by TKO there, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that did Humble go brag. <laughs> that did go the decision, um, so I mean, I, I can't say I'd be surprised if this one did as well, but Arlovsky, although I, I think Overeem's chin is worse than Arlovsky's, Andre's chin is still not great whatsoever. You land on him, and, and Arlovsky is probably going out, um, and I think that's what's going to happen here on Sunday uh, afternoon. I think Alistair Overeem extends his winning streak, Maybe a kick, maybe a punch, uh, some sort of strike. I, I think lands flush on Orlovsky, and it's probably lights out for him. All right. Well, this is half the battle, so you know we got to get to that fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So first up, the fight to watch. Nick, what is your fight to watch for UFC Rotterdam? That's a tough question. I, I know you are 100% going with Nelson Tumanov, so I will go. Let's see. Other than the main event, which I don't necessarily want to pick because it's the main event, the, the, nothing really stands out. Aw, um, oh, come on. Don't give me that shit on half the battle, son. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going with the main event because it's the main event and that's boring. So I will go with John Tuck taking on Josh Emmett. I like it, man. I like it. That is definitely one of the fights to watch. Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence, what's your fight to watch, my man? All right, I'm going to flip the script on it and go with the curtain jerker of Willie Gates against uh, Sasaki. Um, I think that Willie Gates always is an interesting fight, man. Something weird happens. He pokes some dude in the eye and then tries to cheap shot him. Or, you know, there's a wild come from behind. There's just uh, – it's going to be some interesting stuff, and uh, it's worth waking up and uh, setting your alarm clock early, especially you guys out on the West Coast uh, looking at this fight at um, 7 o'clock or so. Yeah, and my fight to watch is a uh, Heather Joe Clark. Listen, my fight to watch <laughs> is Albert Tumanov versus Gunny Nelson. And, I mean, there's no surprise that this is the fight to watch. Look, first of all, I mean, I wanted to say a couple more things about Gunny. You know, I, I guess I am a little bitter about, you know, the those losses <laughs> he gave me. But if you, if you watch, or excuse me, if you listen to my podcast with James Vick yesterday, Half the Battle, I mean, look, this dude collapsed twice making weight for 155 in his last fight. And, I mean, and he's like, dude, there was no uh, thought in my mind of, you know, not showing up or, you know, or moving up a weight class. Like, the dude's so mentally strong that it's like he did whatever it took, and whatever it took was collapsing two times while making weight. Now, with Gunny, it's like, dude, you're five foot nine. My boy Vic is six foot three, and he's at 55. You're telling me Gunny can't make 55? I mean, I'm just like, dude, there, there's something going on up here. That's not right with Gunny. Like, like I mentioned earlier, he's got all the physical attributes. He's got all the credentials. When you talk about Tumenov, that's one scary individual. That's a future UFC world title challenger, and he's going to show exactly why he's a future UFC world title challenger when he takes out uh, Gunny Nelson. Now we got to talk about the fighter to watch for UFC Rotterdam. So, Nick, who's the fighter to watch, man? 
Now, I'm sorry for uh, stealing your guys' pick, but 100, 100% Nikita Al Capone Krylov. This guy is going to light up Francis Marbaroso uh, on the prelim or on the main card, actually. Um, Nikita Krylov, yeah, we, we all like to joke that he's the greatest fighter of all time. And, yeah, he, he's not the GOAT, but, I mean, he is getting better. His stand-up is ever-improving. His, his submission uh, skills are also getting better. This guy is eventually going to be a well-rounded light heavyweight that can crack into that top 10. Um, and, and Francis Barroso is just another step. I think Krylov... Uh, I, I honestly th look at this as a showcase for uh, Al Capone. Yeah, and, and I can't wait to see that showcase and catch that three-unit play. So, Andrew, I mean, who's the fighter to watch for UFC Rotterdam? All right, since everyone's uh, stealing my thunder, I'm going to stick around to these uh, Fight Pass prelims and say... Uh, Horiguchi, the Gucci man himself, baby. Um, I think that Horiguchi's going to put together a string of stopping people at 125 pounds, and it's just so rare to see stoppages at that weight class. Um, it, it, you're you're going to see him string together something special, I think, while the UFC keeps him in the lower, uh, you know, the lower levels of, of the talent pool at 125, uh, because clearly after his, you know, title loss, they got to bring him back up slow. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, Horiguchi's going to put on a special performance, and we'll see him grab one of these performance of the night bonuses. So the clown kid is picking the minus 600 favorite as the fighter to watch. And you know what? Honestly, even though even though I'm talking a little shit, I don't blame you, man. He, you definitely got to look out for Horiguchi. If you say, if you're looking at who's the most talented fighter on this entire card right now in MMA on a technical level, I'm gonna I'm gonna point to Horiguchi as being one of those guys as an all-around MMA fighter who's the most elite talent uh, here. Who cares if he's the uh, all the way down on the prelims? Yeah, I agree completely. Because I mean, you know, obviously we watch that card from start to finish. We don't just start at the main card like all these fucking bums. But anyways, as far as my fighter to watch. There's a couple of them, dude. I mean, obviously, Tumenov, Krylov. But let's talk about Leon Edwards, man. I mean, the kid's 24 years old. He's got all the potential. He's got to, you know, work. Once his defensive wrestling catches up with his striking, I mean, that's what I said about Wonderboy a couple years back. Look out, because I do think Leon Edwards is a special talent. So he's definitely one of my fighters to watch. And like I said, Krylov, Tumenov, make sure you tune in for yeah. their fights, because they're going to put on a show. So... I got to thank you guys so much for tuning in to this very special edition of Half the Battle. Thank you to my guests, Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence, Nick Jr. Baldwin. <laughs> and uh, you got to show, you got to subscribe to their show, The MMA Circus. I mean, they're doing great things. It's put out by Bloody Elbow. And if you guys got any last words for the fans, let us know now, Clown Kid. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, Dan. Uh, it's always great to have you. Uh, invite me here to, uh, to to do the show and, and, and all the great stuff you do. Uh, shout out to all your interviews. You've been doing big things as well. Um, if y'all want to follow me, I'm at the Clown Kid on Twitter. Um, but you, you should be able to spell all those words as well. And if you can't, then don't follow me on Twitter. Nicholas, tell them about the show. Yeah, as far as uh, the show, episode 57 of the MMA Circus, we had three fantastic guests. Uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, UFC Waltway contender, really stoked uh, to have him on the show, takes on Roy McDonald uh, next month. We also had UFC light heavyweight Patrick Cummings, who uh, faces Lil Nog next weekend at UFC 198. And we had Venator FC middleweight 
uh, uh, Marvin Vittori on the show talking all things his upcoming fight later this month, Venator FC3, and Venator's amazing uh, president, Frank Miranda. So interesting stuff from Marvin Vittori. As far as me, you can follow me on Twitter at NickyFC. Always down to chat about MMA, but that's pretty much all I know about, so don't ask me about anything else. Uh, you can check out me and Daniel's other uh, YouTube show, Before the Battle, and uh, tomorrow night, right around 10.30 Eastern Time in the PM, Mike Biggie Rhodes will be making his Before the Battle debut, so really excited uh, to do that with Mike Biggie Rhodes. And, of course, Go Apollo. You can check out my work, bloodyelbow.com. And once again, Daniel, appreciate you uh, having me on the show. Of course, man. And uh, was that a little dig at our boy Carlin Barzo? You said all you know is UFC because I know our boy knows about Asian <laughs> women, Guns and Roses, the Canadian political system. Now, Car Carlin's our boy. James is our He's boy. He's more worldly. Yeah, I know, right? I love all those dudes. For all the fans, thank you so much for supporting Half the Battle. You don't know how much I appreciate it. I truly appreciate it. If there was a number scale, it'd be beyond 100 if that's the infinite number. But I don't think it is, so i got to go beyond that. And just thank you guys so much. I mean, SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, that's where you can subscribe. And the latest one I put out, besides this fight prediction right here, was with James Vick. I know you guys have heard me talk to him a lot, but, I mean, it's not like a typical fighter interview. If you go hear him on some other podcasts, those are, you know, quote-unquote fighter interviews. But this was a an hour podcast, we just sit down and talk like friends, and you guys have to check it out, because you're looking at the mindset of a future world champion, so once again, enjoy the fights, good luck with the bets, and rest in peace, Jordan Parsons.